what do we do with today's gospel lesson? What on earth is Jesus talking about? What does he mean when he says they played the flute and, and we did not and they did not dance? And that the, the crowd said they we played a dirge and you did not mourn. Who are the violent men trying to take the kingdom by force? It's hard to make sense of this passage. Is Jesus talking to us? Or is he just talking about his present circumstances? After all, at that moment, John the Baptist is in prison. And we know how that ends. Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers have come and they think he's gone nuts. They want to bring him home. He's starting to embarrass them. Some people start to claim that that Jesus and John the Baptist must be possessed by demons. Others in the Sanhedrin, some of the religious leaders, want to kill Jesus, and soon they will. Maybe this is just a history lesson. Maybe it's, it's just Jesus telling us about the circumstances that he was in at that point in his ministry, and it doesn't have much to say to you or me today. I think there is something that can be gained as we look into this story. But it comes from looking into John and Jesus' ministry and understanding who they were and what they were talking about and and what this criticism, this, this cryptic criticism that Jesus uses is all about. See, now John the Baptist, you gotta remember, he was he was a bit of a weird guy. He was out in the wilderness. He wore camel skin like the prophets of old. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was an odd dude. He really was. And and if you saw him from a distance, you probably might have thought he was one of those people who was possessed by demons. You didn't really want to go near there. And and if you went near, you started to hear a message that, that wasn't what you were used to hearing in those days. See, he preached the law hard. He said, the axe is at the root of the tree. Repent and be baptized. The time to turn and mend your ways is now. And while the people of Israel had heard these kind of messages before from the prophets, the religious leaders, and many people probably wrote wrote him off. You see, once they'd come back from exile, They started to try and live on the straight and narrow. They tried to follow all the rules. They set up boundaries to make sure they kept God's law properly. Because they didn't want to happen what had happened before. And so they they taught the people how to follow God's law. Because the last time they ignored it, well, that's when destruction and disaster came. So as they heard John's message, they were more likely to just write him off. See, John starts to sound to us a little bit like the crazy conservative street preacher yelling about the the hellfire and brimstone to come down, that God is coming soon, you better mend your ways. And we hear this message, tone it down a little. Come on, buddy. Uh, You're a little intense for our needs. Sure, you know, it's good to hear the law, but you need to take it down a few notches. It's not the kind of message we're used to hearing around here, and we don't really appreciate it. We don't like when you tell us that our lives aren't going to measure up or that we're, we're not good enough. See, when you hear the message of the law, you either resent the one who speaks it or you start to despair 
because you cannot live up to the standard. See, John proclaims the law hard, and, and we respond, you know, the law is good, I understand, but, but it's a little too much. I can't do it. I can't keep up, and, and surely I'm not as bad as that person. See, we hear John preach, and his message sounds too dark, too dreary, too hard, too difficult for us. John, you're, you're ruining the party. You know, we're doing the best we can. Can't you just give us a pass? And his answer is, no. Repent, mend your ways. What we forget is that the law was given for our benefit. And to cheapen the law really just cheapens the intent that God has for our lives. So when we hear John's message, or when the religious leaders back then would have heard John's message, they would have written him off or they would have despaired. But what about Jesus? What about Jesus when he preached? If I'm honest, I think he probably seemed a little crazier to the religious people. They weren't used to a message of of grace, a message of hope. See, Jesus is is doing all the wrong things according to their standards. I mean, Jesus is hanging around with people like Matthew, tax collectors, sinners, drunkards. Jesus goes and, and touches the lepers. That would have made him unclean. Jesus forgives sins. That's something only God can do. Who does this guy think he is? See, the religious leaders would have responded and said, Jesus, you're, you're doing the wrong things. You're, you can't act like that. You, you're not God. Jesus, you can't throw grace around like this. You don't have the right. Jesus, you, you're not setting up the right distinctions between holy and unholy. This is what led us into trouble in the past. You're not doing the right thing. The ancient Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders said the equivalent of the, the ancient equivalent of don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't hang with those who do. Jesus, you're with the wrong crowd in the wrong place at the wrong time. And worse than that, you're throwing around forgiveness carelessly to anyone and everyone. Jesus, don't, you, you got to tone it down a little bit. See, they were offended because forgiveness was going out to people they didn't believe deserved it. People they didn't think were worthy of God's forgiveness. And if we're honest, sometimes we feel that same struggle. Let me give you an example. A prison chaplain goes in, begins talking to those who are there for crimes. They're they're in there for a life sentence. It's it's the, the person who's committed a murder. Or it's the pedophile. And they repent. And God says, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes that's hard for us to hear, hard for us to accept. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences for their sins here and now, but it does mean they are forgiven. Jesus has forgiveness on all those who come to him. Sometimes that makes us feel uncomfortable. We feel like Jesus' grace and God's mercy is being thrown around carelessly. The reality is that we want John and Jesus to fit into our box, to meet our expectations, to do what we want to do. And so we, like the crowds, cry out, John, we, we played the flute and you didn't dance. Jesus, we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. So we get upset because John's message is, is too hard, too difficult, makes us realize we're, we're not as holy as we sometimes like to think. We want John to soften his message. 
Give us a little bit more gospel, a little bit more grace. Stop telling us that we don't measure up to the high standards of the law. Cheapen it just a little bit. And then we see Jesus pouring out grace on people we don't believe deserve it. And we say, Jesus, you know, grace is great. And we understand, but, but we're repentant. You know, you can't just be throwing it out to everyone. You've got to hit some of these people with the law a little bit harder. We want John and Jesus to speak the kind of message we want to hear. We want them to fit our standards, our mold, our expectations. And so we struggle. See, we, we hate the law because we fall short. But we scoff at the gospel because we want to deserve grace. We want to feel like we've earned it. We want to feel like it's something we've deserved based on our good deeds. Now you might be sitting there thinking, geez, pastor, this isn't a very good Reformation sermon. You're not, you know, we wanted a history lesson about Luther or maybe a, a feel-good message about you know, uh, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. Maybe something about law and gospel. Well, this, this is a bit of a law and gospel sermon. I, I am a good Lutheran after all. But you see, I think this message is actually the heart of what Luther came to understand. See, you can't have the gospel. You can't truly understand the gospel if you don't understand the full weight of the law. Until you know your position before God on account of the law that that you could never measure up, then you're never truly prepared to hear the reality of God's grace that says it's not based on what you do, but it's based on what Christ has done for you. See, if we, if we don't have the law, if we don't have the law to show us what God's will is, then grace becomes cheap. See, if we don't see that there is a cost to God's grace because of our rebellion, because of our sin, then we lose sight of the cross. We lose sight of the price Jesus paid for our forgiveness. Grace becomes cheap when law is cheap. When we lower the standards of the law, then we lose sight of our need for grace. See, what we forget often is that the law isn't a bad thing. The law isn't a bad thing. It was here to, to show us our sinfulness and to tell us what a good life, a righteous life looks like before God. But it also calls us back to our need for grace. See, as Paul would write, what then shall we say? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, without hearing the law, we don't actually understand our need for grace. We don't understand our position before God. And when we don't understand our position, then then we either cheapen the law by, by setting our own standard and we think we've reached it and we think that we're justified before God or we think that grace comes at no cost at all which neither is our answer as Lutherans. See, when you don't hear this kind of message of both law and grace, law and gospel, you lose sight of the truth. And you hear, you hear people say statements along the lines of Well, I'll forgive you when you've proven yourself trustworthy. I'll forgive you when I think you're worthy. But see, that's 
not grace and that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness says, while you're a mess, while you're broken, while you can't get your life together before you're sorry, I forgive you. You won't receive the benefit until you accept that truth and let go of your past. But I'm not holding it over you. See, God says that that he has forgiven you. He has let go of your past. He will bring it up no more. He will never talk about it again. He will never address you or look at you based on your sin if you stand in Christ. Rather, he will look at you based on the price that Christ has paid for your sin, based on the gospel, based on what Jesus has done, based on what Jesus has done on the cross. You see, the gospel is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. It is a free gift of God given to you without any merit or worthiness of your own. It's not based on, on earning God's grace. It's not based on getting things right or living the perfect life, but based on trusting in God's grace and what Jesus has done for you. But if all you hear is the law, or all you hear is, is some cheap and standard of the law, then you never realize your, your need for God's grace because you think you can achieve it on your own. And if all you hear is grace, if you go to the, the other side of the spectrum, we fall into a different kind of trap. We start to think that our behaviors before God don't matter. And that God is all loving and he doesn't care about what I do in the day-to-day. It's just live and let live. But you see, that might be even worse. That might be even worse. Because what that says is essentially it turns to God and spits in the face of what Christ has done for you. It says that I don't need your grace. I can save myself. I don't need what you accomplished. God, you you should forgive me based on my own works, based on my own righteousness. I don't need what Christ has accomplished for me. If there is no cost to forgiveness, then I didn't really need Jesus to die for me because I could prove myself worthy. See, it's easy to fall into either one of these traps. But when you have both law and gospel, as Luther understood, then you see your need for grace, your need for forgiveness. And as you hear the full weight of the law as expressed in the Ten Commandments, and you realize When Jesus sets the standard that if you even looked at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery. If you've ever had anger at a brother, you've committed murder in your heart. If you've ever failed to help a neighbor, then you have fallen short of the demands of the law. When you see that truth, all you can do is fall to your knees and come before God and trust in his grace. See, and when you hear that message of grace, then you're prepared to hear the law and the gospel in Scripture, law and grace expressed. You're prepared to, to read through Scripture and realize that when you take a look at your life, it's going to have a message, at least at some places, that says, my life is not in the right place before God, that I'm not doing, I'm not living up to his standard. And it's in that moment that you need to ask for forgiveness and you repent. Now, Repentance, remember, is not just feeling sorry. Repentance literally means to turn and walk in the opposite direction, to mend your ways, and it doesn't mean you'll do it perfectly. God knows you won't. God knows that I have not when I've I've been seeking to repent. But he says, see, it's not up to you to do it perfectly. I've already done it perfectly on your behalf. When you see the demands of the law, certainly try and be holy as your Father in heaven is holy, but I have done it perfectly in your place, completely in your place. It's not dependent on you to save yourself. It is dependent on what I have done for you that saves you. Trust in that grace. Trust in my life. 
trust in what I have done for you. See, only then can you hear the message of John that says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus says, if you repent, your sins are forgiven. You are loved. You are free. You are forgiven. You are my child. See, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you life. When he says in John 6 and Luke 22, I am the bread of life broken for you, he is saying, because I have seen your offenses, your sin, and how far you are from me. I am God who has become breakable, killable, vulnerable for you. I die that you might live. I am broken so that you might be whole. It's only when you see Jesus Christ on the cross for you that you see the full cost of sin, price that Jesus paid and how far he was willing to go to give his grace to you. See, we can't have cheap law that sets up our own standard. And we can't have cheap grace that says that our offenses don't matter. It's only when we see the true high demands of God's law and the incredible price that he paid because he loves you that you understand what Luther understood that you are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, on account of what Jesus Christ has done for you alone. So you rest in the good news and the hope of his life, his death, his resurrection that says you are forgiven. You are loved. You are my child. And it's not based on your works, but based on my works on your behalf. Amen.